Welcome, Prophecy Update December 2022. Yes, good to have you all here. Yeah, all right, that's a good, good crowd tonight. Wow, that's great. Uh, um, couple quick things. Uh, always love to share at the beginning. Those of you that are online with us, we'd like to welcome you. And, um, and also, those of you who are watching this later, after the fact, don't forget to click the likes and subscribes and all that stuff because that helps get the, the word out to get people uh, hearing what the scriptures have to say. And I've got something tonight. Um, you know, I tend to go a little more um, on themes as the Lord just sort of stirs the heart. And, um, and this one I think is uh, really important. Uh, it's not a popular message, but it's hugely important and often neglected. And it has to do um, with the wrath of God. So you guys ready for God's wrath tonight? Oh boy, uh, be careful <laughs> what you say there. Um, yeah, um, no, I think um, this is important. You know, um, as I've been kind of watching this past month since our you know, November prophecy update, um, you know, as I sat there kind of watching what was going on over the month, and I tend to sort of just kind of take notes as the month rolls by of things happening, um, but I just thought, man, things just are more and more wicked. Uh, a lot of wickedness, and especially in the last month, it just seems like it's sort of ramped up, the wickedness. And, um, and it made me think, boy, you know, that, uh, you know, the story of Noah where God sees the wickedness and the Bible tells us, just like the days of Noah, that's, that's gonna be like the days of the coming of the Son of Man. When, when Christ returns, it's gonna be like the days of Noah. And, and in some ways, if, if you, you know, are a Bible student, you know the, the days of Noah, as you read them in the book of Genesis, um, have we surpassed the days of Noah? In some ways, it feels like maybe we have. You know, our population, it's interesting because I remember I was a kid studying uh, the scholars who did the math with the people living, you know, like Methuselah, almost a thousand years and what have you. Um, some scholars back when I was a kid, I remember them predicting that the earth was around 8 billion people uh, during the time of Noah's flood. And I thought, wow, interesting. That's kind of where we are now uh, as the days of Noah. Population explosion was part of the days of Noah. Um, and violence in the land and sin and evil and corruption and all this stuff. But as I watch what's going on, I just see a, a, a world that's just so corrupt. And I wonder what the Lord sees. Does the Lord look and just go, oh, my world that I've created is so corrupt and evil. When is he gonna say? And if you're a Bible student of Bible prophecy, you know there's a time coming where God says time's up. Uh, and what does that mean? Well, I believe that means that the first thing that happens at that point is the rapture of the church. Praise the Lord for that, because um, we're taken out before the wrath is poured out. Makes perfect sense if you think about it, um, that God doesn't pour his wrath uh, on his bride uh, or his child. Uh, instead, he pulls us out before that. Uh, we'll talk more about that. And some of the cynics and critics of the rapture um, you know, uh, teaching of the Bible, there's a bunch of people that are very critical of that. Um, and uh, some of the things they have to say about that, we'll talk about that perhaps tonight too. But you know, I, you know just even... This afternoon, hearing Hillary sort of go on about um, how the United States were pretty much uh, just like Afghanistan now, uh, and just like Iran. And, and I was thinking, I wonder what she's talking about. Oh, it's because of Roe versus Wade. So women in America, according to Hillary, are in just as bad a situation as those girls in Afghanistan. I'm not sure if we should be offended or if the ladies in Afghanistan should be more offended. 
Um, I'm sure the women of Afghanistan would have something to say about um, the women in America and the liberties and freedoms we have here in our country. Um, but Hillary, you know, doing what they all do is, is they like to do spin and make people think. I mean, think about how many people probably think what she said. Oh, that's so true with Roe versus Wade. You know, we're just like Afghanistan now. We're like a third world country that's in war and because of the Roe versus Wade. To me, that's um, uh, an interesting take on something that, that's really, uh, to me, part of the wicked, evil plan. One of the most wicked and evil things we're doing right now is abortion. Um, they did do some math. Since the overturning of Roe versus Wade, somebody did the math and, and figured out that um, somewhere around 10,000 babies have been saved since. Uh, now that's still a small number relative to how many abortions there are, but 10,000 since the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, but we are so far off on that one. It's, it's um, uh, pretty, pretty bad. But, but the wickedness on the earth, you know, uh, let's start with the book of Nahum. Would you uh, see if you can find Nahum real quick? It's in that little section of your Bible where the pages still stick together. <laughs> Nahum, page 1084, if you have my Bible. Nahum. Um, th the reason I wanted to start here is this is one of the more um, perhaps descript um, messages concerning the wrath of God. You know, Jonathan Edwards gave a sermon um, way back, you know, pre the United States, before we were in a, a nation, um, and it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I was listening to a podcast the other day and some, some of these more um, modern pastor, podcaster, you know, guys were talking and they were like, yeah, what do we do to do a sermon like sinners in the hands of an angry God? And, and, and I, I could hear it in their voices. They thought, well, what a stupid sermon that must have been. I'm pretty sure they hadn't probably even read the sermon, but um, I could tell for sure, like who would preach a sermon about sinners in the hands of an angry God? Like, and they just kept going on and on how, how stupid and horrible that must have been, even though it was the sermon that changed our nation. Uh, some call it uh, the enlightenment of this country. It was uh, the single servant that, did you know that after Edwards, pre he wasn't a great preacher. Like he, 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 um, he, he kind of squeaked out the sermon, but that's not really what made it go uh, viral as we would call it today. Um, they handed out papers that had the sermon written and they handed it around and it started reaching all over what it would be now, you know, much of the East Coast. Um, and um, and they, there were there were stories of people weeping in the streets uh, because they were so convicted of their sin. Uh, before Edwards, you know, people don't realize part of our history there. You know, we were we were headed in a really Sodom and Gomorrah kind of way back then. Uh, but it was that sermon that sort of changed things up. And and I think about that. You know, um, I think there's a lot of churches that you will never hear the wrath of God mentioned. Um, but let's see. Um, one thing you gotta remember when you're reading the Old Testament is the God of the Old Testament isn't a different God than the New Testament. Are we, are we clear on that one? He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's, he never changed. God don't never change. That's a great old uh, Southern Delta Blues song. I think it was Will, Blind Willie Johnson that used to sing, God don't never change. Uh, he's God. Uh, God don't never change. And that's the truth. That's a good bit of theology right there. Uh, so let's remember that as we read this. It's Nahum chapter one, uh, verse uh, one is where we'll start. It says in Nahum 1.1, 1, 1, the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite, 
God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and dry up all the rivers of Bashan, uh, all the rivers Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can't abide, uh, who can abide the, in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Boy, you know, th this is um, a description of, the God, of God's wrath, but a lot of the weather type events, you know, we're watching rocks fall right now, M Mauna Loa there in Hawaii, uh, the lava, have you seen some of the footage of that? Like it's, it's um, they're worried it's gonna take out one of the major highways over there in Hawaii. Uh, as this, you know, um, huge volcano is erupting with massive rock lava tumbling down. Like, you know, this, the, the, you know, the, the hurricanes and the winds and the rains and the dust and the droughts and all this stuff. That's what the, you know, the prophet is saying. The Lord can do whatever he wants. He's, he's, he's powerful when it comes to uh, anger. Good news, he's slow to anger. That's what he says. But I love verse seven, and, and uh, we're not gonna do a whole teaching on the book of Nahum here. Um, if you're interested, we did a whole study a few, uh, well, last year sometime, I think we're in Nahum. Um, but um, it, it, verse seven is, is so good. It says, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. I love that, that you know, that if you didn't have that verse, uh, we should be running for our lives, hiding in caves and dens and rocks, right? Which is what they're gonna do in the last days. Uh, they're gonna run away from God. But those who trust in the Lord, those who put their trust in the Lord, the Lord is, is able to keep them from trouble, hold them in the day of trouble. Um, so there is hope, even in the story of Nahum, as, as much as we read the fierceness and his wrath and, and all that. Now, um, we're gonna kind of do a little deeper dive into that, the issue of the wrath. But you know, in today's world, the concept of God's wrath upsets you know, our modern sentiments. It's too disconcerting, maybe, or too intolerant seeming, you know? And, and we, with our arrogance, we sort of, you know, pontificate and uh, the academics, well, if God really exists, you know, um, then he wouldn't be, you know, a, a horrible, angry God. And if he was angry and full of wrath, then we just would not follow him like you really have a choice. Um, you know, it's funny because even some of the mathematicians and scientists, you know, I remember, um, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking, when he was talking about, we better hope there's not space aliens out there because he did the math on it. If you do the math on space aliens and what have you, um, you know, if they find us first, uh, that means they're technologically way more advanced than we are, but we're probably gonna be crushed by them. Like he, he went into this whole thing about the math of survivability if there's space aliens, which, you know, uh, the people debate that, but, but if there's a true and living God, um, there's some things you better be concerned about. Um, now, in our puniness, maybe you just throw the all caution to the wind and say, well, if he's not a loving God and if he's angry and he's gonna do wrath and all this stuff, then I just don't care. I'm gonna act like he doesn't exist. Maybe that's some people's take on it. 
But what I love about, you know, the word of God, we have the Bible and people say, well, it's just a book or whatever. But if you take time to look at the Bible as atheist Greek, we spend a lot of time in the Bible. And if you've been with us, you, you really do get um, more than a sense that this is God's word. God's fingerprints are all over this book. And that's, that's one of the fun things about studying the Bible is, um, you know, you, you, you realize it's not just some work of man. There's no way possibly that could have been if you take a, a close enough look. Most people don't. But when you realize that we hold the word of God in our hands, then it tells us all about God. And we learn so much about him. And yes, he's full of wrath. Good news, he's slow to anger. But yes, his anger is fierce, as it says here. Uh, great in power, um, and you know, uh, it says, who can stand before his indignation? That's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no one. Like, we'd all be toast, except for one thing that you need to remember about God, and that is this, verse seven, the Lord is good. Full of wrath, but also good. Um, and he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Um, and he knows them that trust in him. The Lord is able to sort out who really trusts him and who doesn't. You see, Nahum, this little book gives us this little snapshot <clears throat> of, a, of a God that some people are really freaked out. And if you're on the wrong side of God, you should be afraid. And, and that the problem is people don't talk about that. If you go to Joel Osteen's church uh, down in Texas, you will never, ever hear about the wrath of God. Not once. You're gonna hear how you're gonna be victorious and you're, you're a good person and you're gonna you know, do, be uh, good and, and smart and you, know, you can do it and you're enough and all this stuff. But you'll never hear you know, that you're a horrible, miserable sinner that's gonna go to hell unless you repent of your sins and turn to the Lord. Like, like um, that might just be one of the most dastardly, horrible things that's happened to the church is we've forgotten to remember that, wow, uh, wrath is real. And it's gonna be a major theme coming up here in the world's history, I believe, pretty soon. Um, so we've lived, we've, we live in a day where we, humanity, we've set up ourselves, and I think even the church of Jesus Christ has been sucked in to this mentality that we are in the position to judge God's character. Um, and, and it's almost like God's character is on trial and that we have the right to judge him. We're so puny and insignificant um, and to think that we can judge God, what a, what a, what a goof that is. Um, you know, and so you hear people talk, you know, uh, how can hell be just? You know, if, 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 if God is love, then how can hell exist? Um, why would command the Israelites to destroy all the Canaanites? Um, why does God always seem so angry in the Bible? Um, and, and the things like this, the fact that so many people struggle with this part of God's nature means that Bible teachers and pastors, we've got a lot of work to do. I think that we need to get back, pastors, Bible teachers, people that are gonna teach the Bible, if they claim to teach the Bible, you really need to teach that part about the wrath of God. And, and I feel like there's, there's something that's happened in our culture where we're just kind of blowing off that, that truth. Um, um, let me remind you uh, what Paul says uh, about the last days so we can kind of get back into that mode. In 2 Timothy 3, this is one of the more interesting descriptions, I think, uh, that really lines up with the days you know, and when you see this, uh, this is God's word talking about in the last days. It says, uh, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty or your King James, you know, says um, perilous times. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, um, unappeasable, uh, slanderous, 
without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Boy, all these things, is this just like point after point, you're just like, man, rings a bell, rings a bell. Um, and it goes on, but um, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And, and we need to kind of think about that. The Bible tells you and me, we're to avoid the people that are engaging in all these things. Um, and I know that that might sound a little different because, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Yeah, but, but the difference is whenever Jesus hung out with sinners, they changed. So it's okay for you and me to hang out with sinners. We have to work with them. We get to go to school with them. Uh, you'll bump into them and stuff. But there's a point where you have to say, are these people changing and repenting of their sins? Because that's, that's what Jesus did. If you're gonna be like Jesus and hang out with publicans and sinners and Democrats, um, <laughs> well, I said public, oh no, we know what publicans are. Publicans and sinners. Um, if you're gonna hang out with publicans and sinners like Jesus, you, you gotta start seeing some change. You, got, you know, the hammer and the nail sort of thing. Are you the hammer or are you the nail? That's the question. So, but if you're not, avoid such people. That's what the Bible says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households. Boy, that's happening right now. They're creeping into your house, households with your kids and their iPhones and you know, all the media that's creeping into your house right now. I, I, I get this. This is, this is, I think, the, the New Testament biblical way of describing the days we're living where evil and wickedness is creeping into your homes as we speak um, and trying to capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Wow, this is a heavy scripture that describes the days that we're living. Um, you know, it's interesting. It seems that um, we're seeing wickedness on kind of a whole new level today. And, and um, I'm gonna make that a little bit of the theme tonight because of just some of the things that are going on. And many of these things you may have heard, but um, just when you kind of start ste stepping back, Trinity College, did you see this one? Uh, University of Cambridge, UK um, article. Cambridge professor says it's legitimate to believe Jesus had a trans body. Now this is coming from Cambridge University, okay? Uh, that bastion of holiness, uh, raising I'm sure a bunch of wonderful pastors in their seminary uh, there to teach the Bible. Um, but the dean of students stood up for this guy, um, the dean at Trinity College um, at Cambridge is under fire right now for defending a sermon by a graduate student that said Jesus Christ had a trans body. Um, Joshua Health, a junior research fellow, um, pardon me, Joshua Heath, a junior research fellow at the college, using medieval and Renaissance art ex for examples. Uh, that's a good way to get your doctrine, would you say, the art from some guy that probably was smoking weed or something? Anyway, um, uh, they got their art and said that Jesus' body is both masculine and feminine and that the crucified Christ's side wound takes on decidedly vaginal appearance during a sermon he gave at the Angli Anglican Evensong service at the Trinity College Chapel, the Daily Telegraph reported. There's reports of people literally leaving the church sobbing because they were so horrified at what this guy preached. And that's why the Dean of Students is under, under fire. And he says, no, it's a good sermon. That's what he's saying. Um, and we should think of Jesus as a transgender person. You know, this, this is the kind of stuff, we've been watching this um, a, a lot, but it's almost like we've been sort of um, so callous now. We see so many of these stories now. Um, I remember when the, 
you know, National Endowments of the Arts paid for the thing. Remember years and years ago, I remember I was so shocked when they had a, a thing where they were urinating. It was an art exhibit, urinating on the crucifixion of Jesus. And, and that was a big deal when that happened. We were all like, oh, and you know, they, it became sort of a thing. But that stuff happens every day now. We're seeing wickedness, especially as it relates to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We're watching wickedness go um, on, on a whole new level. Uh, you know, and Christianity and Jesus and, and faith and church is so under attack right now. And sadly, uh, a lot of the church is being sucked in to kind of a liberal theology. And uh, especially here in the Portland area, it's so sad to see even locally what's happened. Um, along with that wickedness, if that's not bad enough, what about the uh, Balenciaga scandal? If you didn't see that, uh, the so-called luxury brand Balenciaga, uh, you, you can buy your $1,100 tennis shoes, uh, cotton sweatshirts that cost $1,500. But um, this past week, they released an ad campaign. And basically, the selling point was um, the sexualization of children. Um, and they got caught with this, uh, you know, thinking that somehow they were going to pull this off and everybody's going to be fine with it. Um, you know, th this, this tells you how sort of brazen they are toward the, the concept of, of pedophilia and what have you. And I gotta say, um, uh, in my defense, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I was saying, this is the next big thing. Pedophilia is coming and we're gonna normalize it. It's gonna be accepted and they're gonna defend it. And we had people leave our church when I said that. They thought I was uh, just crazy, went too far. But what's so sad to me is, is I hate to be right on stuff like that, but what's sad to me is the church has largely just stood by quietly since the last 20 years. And now we're all a little bit shocked when we see um, featuring of children carrying um, the, the you know, uh, brands, uh, teddy bears wearing BDSM props, um, children with wine glasses in, in positions that are questionable with dog collars laying around. Like it was just a grotesquely ugly presentation of, you know, sexualizing of children, which is to me, um, you know, that used to be the worst thing you could hear. If you went to prison because you were a pedophile, um, you're going to die in prison. Like, you know, that, that's the way it used to be. Even the prisoners were like, yeah, that's, that's gross. Uh, we're not going to allow that to happen. And that guy's not going to get away with that. Um, but, you know, if that's not perverted enough, um, you know, this, this, um, this, I'm not even going to show the, the children or any of that stuff because I think it's just so horrific. But in, in one of the pictures um, from the campaign, a document was interestingly tucked under one of the, uh, you know, these, uh, 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 what is it, Balenciaga? I can't even say the name. Balenciaga handbag that they were selling. But underneath the, the handbag, as it turns out, they had sort of an Easter egg, as they call it. But what it was, it was the 2008 Supreme Court ruling, United States versus Williams, which examined if laws against the promotion of child pornography were in violation of First Amendment, and it was tucked under this handbag in this ad. Um, so, you know, their argument is, oh, we, we, didn't, we didn't really mean it to look, you know, like we're sexualizing children, and, and just totally ridiculous for them to make that claim. Um, I, I thought about taking it a little further um, because... If you follow the money and the parent companies of, of this Balenciaga, um, it gets it gets more and more grotesque as, as you look and follow where the money goes. And uh, but the, here's the goofy part: Balenciaga filed a twenty five million dollar lawsuit against the production company who created the holiday campaign that featured photographs of children holding teddy bears with BDSM gear, um, and including this image that had that legal document from the Supreme Court decision about child pornography. 
Um, here's the thing that's so goofy about them filing a lawsuit. There are so many, you know, steps before any of this stuff gets published. You know, for them to act like, oh, we didn't, oh, what, what, what was the ad about? What were they doing? They're just, um, they're trying to act like they didn't know it was happening and they're trying to sue the photographer, which, you know, if you're a photographer, take, you know, there, there are certain jobs you should walk away from. That would have been the one, but they didn't. So the photographer's guilty too, if you ask me. They're all guilty, but to act like they didn't know about it is so ridiculous. This is just the epitome of evil. And I'm gonna say one of the things that probably gets my dander up the most is what's happening to children, what we are doing to children today. And especially when it comes to this transgender issue and the mutilization of children and, and uh, you know the hormone uh, blockers and all that stuff that we're doing to children, it, it really is an abomination and it's something that's ugly and evil. And yet I'm amazed at the silence of, of people. Um, or, or the people that are just sitting around going, well, I don't really believe that, you know? And, and that's, by the way, part of their plan is to say, oh, the people that are raising the red flag, they're a little nuts, they're a little kooky. The people that are, you know, saying there's, there's bad things happening to our children, they're acting like, you know, we're the crazy ones who are saying that. And actually, we'll talk about what their, what their next step with that is. I think there's a tactic that we're starting to see. Um, okay, to lighten the mood a little bit, here's the Babylon Bees entry. I thought this was good. <laughs> Bale distances himself from Balenciaga. <laughs> um, <laughs> the article said by the Babylon Bee, this is of course satire, uh, if you're wondering. Um, um, uh, Bale is quoted as saying, I can't be associated with this stuff, said the bullheaded demon to the reporters. I have never been associated with Balenciaga or any other of their designers or their leadership. And I disavow the photographers and the designers who created the sick imagery. I will not be taking questions at this time. Um, they're making me look really bad here, he added. Several fashion experts, however, criticized Bale's move to distance himself from Balenciaga. We in the fashion industry have served Bale many faith faithfully for many years. Um, he doesn't get back to our, um, he doesn't get to back out of this now, said fashion director Patrick Picard. Bail, bail, hear us, he went on to say. <laughs> this is all uh, satire, but I, I think it was, it's pretty funny. Um, it's true, like, like it, it's so wicked. And, and our culture, we've sort of made it look sort of somehow more clean or more streamlined, but it's even worse. We're doing worse than what even the Canaanites were doing with their Baal worship and stuff like that. It's, it's, it really is uh, horrific what, what's happening. And, and as I look at the wickedness that just in this last month, I, I mean, we could go on and on with stories like this, but one of the things you should know about when it comes to all this stuff and people that raise the red flag, especially when it comes to LGBTQ and transgenderism and children, um, th there's, a, there's a new sort of method to demonize those that are trying to speak the truth on these matters. And um, I wanted to make sure you're, you're aware of it because this is, this is where it's going. I think this is where we're gonna see more and more of this. And it's, um, and it's called stochastic terrorism. Have you ever heard the term? It's, it's something that's happened in the last, it's been going on for the last few years, but it's becoming more uh, um, common. And the last couple of weeks, particularly, the definition of stochastic terrorism is this, the public demonization of a person or group resulting in the incitement of a violent act, which is statistically probable, but whose specifics cannot be predicted. In other words, if, if I say something here from the pulpit that might make somebody think, oh, that's evil and wrong, and I'm gonna go bomb that building or kill those people or whatever, 
then, um, then I am the leader of what is called stochastic terrorism. And, and here's how this works. Uh, here's, here's a good example. Do you remember this month, one of the evil, horrible things that happened along with all the other wickedness I could list? Uh, one of those things is the National Review article politicizing the Colorado Springs massacre. And if you didn't know, just before midnight on Saturday, you know, uh, was, was it two Saturdays ago? Heavily, ar- heavily armed gunmen walked into Club Q uh, in Colorado Springs and opened fire. Um, fortunately, it, it was a horrible situation, but uh, fortunately he was disarmed and neutralized by patrons, including a heroic army veteran who described uh, charging through the, uh, the chaos at the club, tackling the gunman, beating him bloody with the gunman's own gun, uh, the New York Times reported. But uh, not before this guy was able to kill five people and injure 18 others, like all mass shootings, it was an act of evil motivated by the desire to take as many innocent lives as possible. So that's the story. That's, that's what happened. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Um, uh, but, um, you know, five people dead, 18 others injured. Um, but uh, the, here's, here's where the narrative went. And you could have predicted this. Uh, you could have predicted what's going to happen. What, what are they going to do? They're going to say, well, it's a uh, Club Q. And if you see the logo, you realize, oh, it's, it's a, like a gay club, uh, LGBTQ club or something. So the next thing you do is you say, well, the reason this happened, of course, is because of all those conservatives that are talking about the LGBTQ issues and their hatred and their bigotry and all this stuff. And that's what everybody went off on. Uh, all the people that are supporters of the LGBTQ cause um, started blaming the culprits. Who were the, who are the ones? Uh, the libs of TikTok, uh, Tucker Carlson, Elon Musk's Twitter, um, uh, content moderation policies um, uh, from Twitter, um, the right-wing moral panic, um, um, uh, about the drag queen story hours and, of course, the entire Republican Party. Um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, attributed the shooting to the right, right's anti-LGBT plus campaign, writing, connect the dots at GOP. Um, uh, Equality uh, Florida Press Secretary Brandon Wolf told MSNBC that right-wing grifters, including politicians like Ron DeSantis, and Greg Abbott, were, um, they've been spewing this vile, hateful rhetoric about LGBTQ people. Um, and we warned them that inved- inevitably it would result in violence. Um, the, the New York Times columnist, Michael Goldberg, argued that the shooting seems hard to separate from the right's nationwide campaign of anti-LGBTQ incitement. Um, each time these things happen, the right wing go um, to blame mental illness, uh, Brian Broom wrote in the Washington Compost, I mean, uh, Post, um, but, but it's right-wing rhetoric that speaks these nightmares. Well, that's, that was the narrative for the first several days after the shooting. Then we found out, as it turns out, as indications are, um, uh, though, that uh, he was profoundly a sick, sick man. Uh, in June of 2021, the guy, the shooter, was arrested for allegedly threatening his mother with a homemade bomb, multiple weapons, and ammunition, according to a press release from El Paso County Sheriff's Office. It emerged on Tuesday that the shooter's attorney also described him as non-binary and preferring they-them pronouns. Um, it, um, it, again, it's just a grotesque thing to lay the blame on this shooting at the feet of millions of Americans. You know, anybody who's a conservative who believes, like, say, the Bible, when it comes to things like homosexuality, um, they're the reason why the shooting took place. Um, and so what that is, um, is this, this, um, this problem 
Uh, and that's, that's where this uh, stochastic terrorism, uh, it's where it's you know, superimposed on another group, um, which makes anyone who believes the Bible a stochastic terror, terrorist. Um, um, so all that to say, the, the, um, you know, on and on it goes. I, you know, I believe we've just seen the beginning of this so-called sto- stochastic terrorism, and it's being employed by those who wanna silence people with a different opinion. Let me give you another example. Um, uh, of that, uh, another group blamed focus on the family. Um, in fact, um, um, they, you know, they, were, uh, they, they sprayed graffiti on the focus on the family sign there in Colorado Springs, same city where the shooting happened. Uh, earlier this month, gunmen opened fire at Club Q, a gay nightclub in Colorado Springs. Um, despite the suspects identifying as non-binary and going by MX Anderson, uh, Lee Aldrich, in court documents, many on the left blame conservatives and Christians for the attack. Vandals targeted one prominent conservative Christian group in the city, um, and that they they sprayed all over the focus on the family rock sign. You know, um, uh, the, you know, it's their hate and all this stuff. And it was just a they blamed them. Uh, that's that's we're going to see more of this stochastic terrorism as they're calling it, and they're going to blame pretty much all the you know people that have more of a biblical worldview for all the shootings and bad things that happen. This has been happening for a long time. Now I got to say this: this is hard to say, but it's going to be true. I believe that even the church, there's parts of the the today that are the so-called church that are beginning to we're beginning to see sort of using this same sort of argument against itself. We're seeing Christians arguing against Christians. Um, and it has to do with Christians that hold a biblical worldview versus so-called Christians. And I call them so-called. I don't know if they're Christians or not, but they sure don't believe the Bible, generally speaking. There's a lot of churches that have just kind of thrown out LGBTQ. Well, that's love is love. You know, that's what they all like to say. Love is love. So God is love. So you can love whoever you want. The logic on that breaks down so badly. It's not even funny. Um, love is love. You, I used to be able to say, well, is it okay for a 50-year-old man to love a 12-year-old boy? And most people say, oh, no, that's not. Well, that's love. So your argument's dumb. Uh, but now they're saying, yeah, it is okay. Uh, they're, they're, they're arguing, yes, it is okay for pedophilia and stuff like that. That's, that's where things are going. And anybody who says anything different, well, we're all about hate and terrorism. And that's why people are being shot and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and this whole, the, I think this is the interesting battleground is the LGBTQIA plus ABCDFG. Um, we're seeing this is, this is where it's happening. And, and it's, it's hard because nobody wants to be, you know, talking about this all the time. Um, but it is what's happening all around us. And, uh, and we're seeing even the church divided on this issue. The Daily Mail article um, well, this is kind of interesting because, you know, it's not just people in random now, it's, it's your government. Biden's, this is the longest uh, article title I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Daily Mail article, Biden's non-binary nuclear waste guru used Vera Bradley bag um, for a month after stealing it from airport and unpacking female victims' clothes, but claims it was an accident, keeps job despite of being charged as White House says, nothing or does nothing. Um, Sam Britton, um, and um, uh, let me show you who that is here. I'm gonna fast forward here. If you don't know, um, I I brought this, there's there's a meme that's going around and I don't know whether to laugh or cry, but um, this uh, this meme is going on. No, seriously, this is your government right here. (laughs) 
And these are all part of the Biden administration. But the guy, that's the bald guy in the green dress and the uh, whatever salmon colored uh, shirt or whatever, um, that's the guy we're talking about here. He, he is the, um, the um, nuclear waste guru for the Biden administration. And he basically stole, uh, Sam um, Brinton, a senior DOE uh, official, uh, stole a suitcase from a baggage carousel at at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport on September 16th. Brenton then took the bad to St. Paul Hotel and then returned to the airport in uh, order to travel to Washington, D.C. on September 18th. Sometime between then and October 9th, Brenton took a trip with the suitcase to Europe. Um, After they were uh, contacted by the police, Brenton initially denied denied taking the suitcase, but later admitted to the theft, citing uh, tiredness for the confusion. Brenton said they left the clothing from the woman's uh, personal items in the suitcase that were worth over $2,300. They left them in the hotel room in St. Paul. So they emptied out the suitcase and then filled. um, And and as it turns out, he never had a suitcase. He looked even remotely like that. So this guy literally just stole a suitcase and took it. But, um, you know, not that it's about the suitcase. It's just about, should we be surprised um, when this group that is very much uh, linked to the Biden administration, our current government, these are the guys they're choosing. Um, and it's, it, to me, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so we laugh at this because it's so ridiculous. But at the same time, it's so tragic because of what the Bible says. This is, again, we have to remember the wrath of God is real. Uh, Proverbs 16.5 says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he he will not go unpunished. Like this is a promise of um, the word uh, to us, um, as it turns out. Um, the Lord is gonna, uh, you know, vengeance is mine, say the Lord, I will repay. There's coming a time when the world that just shakes their fists and say, we're gonna do what we wanna do. One, again, I have to say, one of the reasons the LGBTQ issue is so dastardly is because it's a, it's a choice that a person makes. And when they make that choice, it's not like they're wrestling with sin. There is a difference. There's a difference between somebody who wrestles with sin. I would say, welcome to the club. We all wrestle with sin. We know that we make mistakes and we sin. But if we take our sin and we celebrate our sin and say, yeah, whatever, we're just gonna keep doing it and we're gonna learn how to get better at it. Uh, The idea continually practice such things. The Bible says, if you're in that mode, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Um, That's a promise of God's word. And that's the difference. The LGBTQ issue is people saying, we're choosing to reject the Bible and choosing to do it our way. Um, uh, Are there people that struggle with homosexuality that are gonna go to heaven? I believe there are. Um, and, and it's because they recognize it just like the rest of us. We all have our sins and we all have our struggles. And as long as it's something we're saying, Lord, we're repentant, we change our mind about that. And we're choosing to follow your word. And even though we fail and make mistakes, but we're wrestling, that's a very different thing than a person saying, we're gonna take this up. Um, that's why this scripture is so, uh, uh, that's where arrogance and pride creeps in when a person says, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Now, um, interesting um, uh, there's, there's a shifting of gears here because uh, we could go into all that stuff and there's so much we could, we could talk about that. We could be here all night. But globally, we're seeing more wickedness in the world and, and, and nations and, and whole leaders and whole uh, um, large countries and nations are doing evil things. And it gets, it gets really weird, especially when you see it in light of what the Bible says 
about the end. One of the things we've spent time talking about is globalization and a new world order. The Bible talks about that. There's gonna be a one world government, a one world religious system. There's gonna be a one world financial system. This is what the Bible says in the book of Revelation. That's all gonna happen. So as people who are awaiting the rapture of the church and the, you know, uh, the second coming of Christ, um, we're not gonna be here when all that kicks into gear. We're gonna be taken up before that happens. But, but we could see the precursors or the things that are coming up to that. And one of those things we've kind of looked at, of course, the World Economic Forum. Um, and uh, if, if it wasn't like a cartoon character, Klaus Schwab, uh, I almost picture him with his pinky like this, going a billion dollars. Like, I, like he's that guy, uh, Dr. Evil, you know, or whatever, uh, from a James Bond movie. Like, it's totally ridiculous, but he's kind of this guy who's at the lead of this World Economic Forum and, and this whole globalist uh, kind of movement. And many very powerful, wealthy people are very much involved with this. And I think these are precursors to what the Bible talks about that's coming. But um, one of the things that I, I thought was striking is um, if you know what's going on in China right now, um, there's a, there's, that's a whole nother evil. Uh, we could talk about abortion in China. We could talk about uh, slavery in China. We could talk about what they do to Muslims in China or what they do to Christians. Um, we could just go on and on about China and the human rights issues, which is funny because um, the people that you'd think would be arguing for human rights and stuff, they're just not. They're, they're either silent or acting like nothing's uh, going on here. But um, in the uh, Epoch Times article, World Economic Forum uh, Chair Klaus Schwab praises China as being a role model for many nations. Um, and I, I, you gotta watch the video. I, I just, here's a snippet for you. Just, you, you gotta watch this guy. It's almost uh, too funny. You think it's a cartoon character. I uh, respect uh, China's achievements which are tremendous over the last uh, over 40 years. I think it's um, a role model for many countries, but I think also uh, we should leave it to each country uh, to make its own decision what system it wants to adapt. And I think we should be very careful in imposing systems. But the Chinese model is certainly a very attractive model for quite a number of countries. So, you know, he said this uh, just recently, but if you've been following what China's doing, it, um, and this is, this is another one of the things, you, you know, if you follow much of the news and you, you dig deep enough, you realize we don't know anything that's going on in the world. Like we're so ignorant about what's actually going on in the world and it's really hard to know what's true, what's false, what's really happening. But um, uh, some of the biggest riots and protests that have ever been in China's history are happening as we speak. If you didn't know that, don't be, feel bad. It's just they, the news is shockingly ignoring what's going on in China right now. But um, you know, there are uh, you know, videos and snapshots and things that people are sneaking that are kind of leaking out of China. And China is trying to cover, um, so they, they cover their digital you know, footprint on the world. Meanwhile, of course, with TikTok and other things, they're watching everything we are doing. Uh, they're very well informed of everything your children are doing right now if, if your kids have TikTok, which uh, you, they shouldn't if you're wondering. That's a freebie for your mom and dad. But, um, but their system is uh, um, sort of Orwellian or maybe even you know, uh, apocalyptic, Revelation, Book of Revelation type stuff. Um, and I, want, I brought a few snippets of, of videos that have been sort of sneaking out of, um, of, uh, of China. 
Um, this one is, is uh, uh, the, something they've shown about this, this passport. Um, if you try to enter a public place, um, and you have to do this with your phone, when you enter into a public place um, if, with a red QR code, immediately alarm goes off, um, and then the Chinese government come, they'll cut you off from society by remote, uh, remotely switching your COVID passport to red. And once you get this red passport, you're gonna be detained and locked down. Um, by the way, um, it, it's, it's very militant the way the Chinese do this. This is a, a video of, um, this is just a COVID testing site, but you, th- this video was uh, snuck in as somebody was saying, yeah, here's one of the guys, uh, some medical people there at the COVID testing site. And just, just notice he's armed, ready to roll. Um, um, this is a loop. Uh, it's, um, it's hard to explain this, but somebody going into those doors back in the background there came up with a red QR code. And what China does is not only do they take the person that's got the red QR code, but anybody within 10 feet of them um, because they probably got the coronavirus too. And so they gather up, these are people that are trying to run so they don't get caught up in the person that got the red code. Uh, they're trying to distance themselves so that they don't go to where, I'll show you where they put the people here, but this is the kind of panic the people in China have been dealing with for a long time. Um, so they're escaping an expo where someone's passport came up red. Um, now, um, this, this is a, a drone uh, that flies around China, and we'll put the audio up on this one too. Um, but uh, you'll hear this woman announcing with this drone over the, like, the whole community, and I'll translate. Please comply with COVID restrictions. Control your soul's desire for freedom. Do not open the window or sing. That's what this, that's what this drone is saying, and here it is. Let's roll it. So, you know, again, very Orwellian, very uh, uh, almost like, um, you know, apocalyptic in some ways. Um, so where do they take you if, if in China? They're, they're building these huge uh, quarantine camps. Um, here's uh, uh, um, uh, one of those areas where they've welded a whole section of doors. And there's all these, there are videos they've stuck out where these, the, the, they're, they're welding shut people uh, in to make sure that they don't go, leave and get out. Um, and so uh, that's, that, there's a bunch of loops or you know, videos of that. But a new quarantine camp in China's Qingyuan, um, I, I need some of my Chinese people to help me pronounce some of these uh, words. The city is being built. Um, this, this, this city, you can see it's almost like uh, metal boxes uh, and there's, there's thousands of them. Uh, and in fact, this, this, is, this is a truth thing. This, this particular city uh, for quarantined COVID people uh, covers an area of 666,000 666, square meters. Did you hear what I just said? I think that's just interesting. I don't know if that means anything. Um, but uh, they've detained uh, 48,000 COVID inmates. 48,000 are in this particular quarantine sort of lockdown camp. 
Um, now, if you look into these, uh, this, this is uh, some of the bays where these people are. And this is, uh, they're checking temperatures of quarantine victims in these lockdowns. Uh, and these are people that probably got the red QR code somewhere as they were going to a restaurant or somewhere. And uh, they, they were taken by force to stay in this uh, sort of concentration camp kind of thing. Um, and you know they, they feed them like livestock. Um, this is a video that was shot where they just come by and sort of put up you know, some bread uh, and, and some water. Uh, and, and you know the inmates are there just kind of stuck. Um, and, um, and on and on it goes. You know, these little tiny cells, somebody got a picture of how this is, um, this is the spacious place where you'll be able to, uh, to live. Uh, while you're under lockdown. Um, uh, and basically a wood bed and some basics, water and food. Um, now with all this, uh, the protests in China are as big as ever, as I mentioned. The media is not covering this at all. Um, the people are starting to feel that the lockdowns, as it turns out, listen to this. They're feeling that the lockdowns are not as much about the COVID, but about control. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, it, uh, it's funny, but that's what's happening. And, and China's, you know, doing it way more radically than anything we saw here. Australia went kind of berserk on this one, by the way. Um, and, uh, but China's taken it to whole new levels. And, um, and um, you know, there's, there's millions of people in the streets crying out, you know, Xi Jinping, uh, get him out. Uh, which, you know, in China, when you, if you do that, that, that could cost you. You go to prison for the rest of your life or even end up dead. The, um, and, and by the way, man, there's so much we could talk about tonight. Um, the protests in Iran are the same kind of thing. Um, you know, the people are brave. You gotta, you gotta understand the people in I, I, Iran that are protesting by the tens of thousands, um, they are some of the bravest people, in my opinion, in the world. Uh, because you might end up hanging from a crane in the city center by the neck. Um, if, if you're caught processing. They, they've already killed a bunch of people, famous people. Uh, one rapper is in trouble. There's some Iranian rapper that they just got, uh, and I, I don't know if he's still alive, but it sounds like they're gonna kill him, probably hanging from a crane in the middle of the city of Tehran. Um, but if you're caught protesting, or if there's a picture of you, or you're you know, caught, they're gonna fi find you and kill you, uh, or imprison you um, at best. Um, and so you got to see all around the world, there's all kinds of unrest and people that are angry. Um, now, all that to say, um, when you start seeing what's going on in the world, um, you, you also, you, you don't, even the good stuff, I kind of see sort of, um, wow, even the good. Um, Elon Musk continues to invent interesting things. Uh, unrelated to Bible prophecy, I think, uh, is he's, gonna, he's about to launch, SpaceX is about to launch the biggest thing we've ever launched. He, it's almost like he's doing it just to beat NASA's record. Um, but it's gonna be this, it's like launching the coin center. If you could basically look at the coin tower in downtown Portland, that's how big this rocket is. And he's gonna launch it uh, and put it in space. Um, and that's pretty amazing. But, but this particular month, one of the things that Musk is working on in his many little hobbies and projects is Bloomberg article uh, uh, started, we've been, we actually talked about this about a year ago, but it's starting to become a reality. Bloomberg article, Musk's Neuralink hopes to implant computer in human brain in six months. And he's on track to do that. Um, during an event uh, at a Wednesday night uh, company's uh, Fremont, California headquarters, um, Musk revealed uh, work on two major products in addition to the brain-computer interface, which would need to be drilled into a person's skull. 
and would initially be used, um, and you say, well, who would do that? Well, it'd be used to treat traumatic brain injuries. Neuralink is also developing implants that can go into the spinal cord and potentially restore movement in someone suffering from paralysis. Um, uh, there's an ocular implant that um, can improve or even restore human vision. In fact, they're talking about people that were born, you know, they have the cerebral cortex and the vision part of their brain, and there's no reason really why they can't see, um, except they just lack a few little things. Well, this Neuralink um, Musk boasts that the people that were born without sight will be able to see um, however that works with this Neuralink thing. And they're talking about unveiling this stuff in six months. Um, um, you know, you say, well, Brett, that, that's all good, right? Well, I don't know, but um, you know, it'd be nice if blind people could see that. Like, I, I think that'd be wonderful. But w- the, the point that I would make as a Bible prophecy buff is to say, you know, um, I think that the, the technology of the, you know, the mark of the beast, we're so far past that. Like, we're, we've been there for years. That could have happened at any time, buying and selling with something, that, uh, whether it's a chip or a, you know, quantum tattoo or whatever the, whatever the Antichrist is gonna use. We have 10 times over the technology now to do whatever we wanna do with that idea of an implant or whatever it is. The, the technology is kind of over the top, sort of crazy uh, right now, which is kind of interesting. But all these things we're seeing very well could be the world moving closer and closer um, from just basic wi- wickedness to the actual wicked one. That is the one talked about in Second Thessalonians, two verses eight through nine. There, you know, we read this a few prophecy updates ago. And then shall that wicked, speaking of the Antichrist, be revealed. When's that gonna happen? After, remember, the church is taken out of the way. Um, Then he'll be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders." You know, one of the things that the Antichrist is gonna do is have lying wonders. It's gonna to appear to be wonderful, but it's all lies. Um, and he's gonna have power and do and perform signs. That's one of the things that's gonna happen in the tribulation period, according to the Bible. Um, so with all this, you know, I see this wickedness only setting the stage for the wicked one. All these things uh, are starting to point to that. And it just wonder how, you know, you wonder how much more of a feverish pitch do we have to reach before the Lord finally says, okay, time's up. It's time to close shop, uh, to start fresh, to do something different. Um, I just get a sense that it could be really soon. Um, uh, with, with, when it comes to the wrath of God, um, the one of the things we read there in, in Nahum was that um, his, his wrath is slow. The Lord is slow to anger. Um, and I think sometimes humanity, we've been guilty of mistaking the Lord's long suffering and patience for non-existence. And that's one of the problems today. I think the world is just more and more boldly going into their wickedness saying, man, the Lord God, if he, if he even exists, he's been silent for all these years. So, uh, but we shouldn't confuse the Lord's seeming silence for uh, his non-existence. But God's wrath is gonna be the most real thing people feel in the history of the world. Um, but I wanna go over a few points on the wrath of God um, because I think, I think you and I need to make sure and um, be part of the message. Because if you read your Bible, the, the idea of the wrath of God is from cover to cover and it's something we should be talking about. 
Oh, but Brett, you know, uh, it's not a good thing to scare people. Well, let's talk about this. Um, five things about the wrath of God really quick. Number one, um, God's wrath is just. Um, it's become common for many to argue that the God of the Old Testament is a moral monster that um, in by, by no means is worthy to be worshiped. You know, the, how could God ethnically cleanse the Canaanites? Well, we went over that a few weeks ago, talking about that in our Through the Bible study. The Canaanites were the rabid dog. They were dead. They were already perverted so much that they were, they were infecting all the other nations around them. And the Lord says, out of love, he actually, I believe, gave the Canaanites 500 years to repent, but they didn't. And thus the Lord says, my wrath is gonna be poured out on them. And for people to say, well, why is God doing that? The same people are gonna say, why is God pouring out his wrath upon us? And it's because they were hardened, clueless about um, repentance. Um, the, by the way, the biblical authors had no problem writing down this stuff about the wrath of God, which is kind of interesting. It wasn't a problem to them. I think it's in our sensitive, uh, politically correct culture, uh, mamby-pamby, wimpy culture, where you know, we, we don't like justice anymore. We don't like to see wrongs righted. We, we like to see people get away with stuff. So when, when a righteous God says, I'm not gonna let people just slide by and do their evil, wicked things. You know, killing babies is something the Lord's gonna say, that's an abomination. I'm not gonna let that happen. Now, some people say, but that's scary. What if I had an abortion? We'll talk about that in a second. But the wrath of God, whether we want to admit it or not, you have to understand it's just. It's justified, you might say. Romans chapter two, verse five says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is God talking about Romans chapter one and chapter two, those people that were given over to their vile affections and their, their uh, evil deeds. And um, the Lord says, you're just storing up more and more wrath. It's gonna be piled up. This is, this is New Testament. Um, so God's wrath, by the way, according to Romans chapter two, verse five, God's wrath seems to be proportion, in proportion to human sinfulness. Uh, that's, that's what it seems to indicate there, that you're, the wrath of God's piling up according to what we've done. Proverbs 24, 12 says, if you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keep watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? The old, I didn't know, is not gonna work with God because he sees your intentions of your heart. He, he knows uh, the in, inside scoop of what, what's being talked about. J.J. Packer summarizes this in his book, Knowing God. He said, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to an objective moral evil. See, that's the mistake people make. They try to superimpose human anger and wrath onto God. And that's not really what God's wrath looks like. God's wrath is uh, very righteous and just and uh, deserved. Whether we want to admit it or not, it, it just is. Um, that's, that's what the, the Bible says of it. That's what God tells us about his wrath. Um, and that's what we should know. So number one on our list here is God's wrath is just. That's number one. Number two, um, and this might freak some people out, but God's wrath I think is meant to be feared. It's something that shouldn't be, uh, you know, oh, the wrath of God, like those podcasters laughing at sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon. God's wrath is to be feared because 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, of course, uh, Romans says in 6.23. God's wrath is to be feared because God's promises of eternal punishment is what happens if you're apart from God. Um, eternal punishment. By the way, one of the, the teachings that's out there is um, where you, when you die, if you go to hell, you go to hell, but then you kind of cease to exist. Um, and there's a whole teaching out there, and I very much reject that. One of many reasons, but one reason is Matthew 25, 46, where it says, all these things shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Everlasting punishment does not sound like uh, you know everlasting. I can see why some people make the argument if you're talking about everlasting destruction. But um, Romans 20 talks about when Satan and his demons are thrown into Gehenna, they're gonna suffer for eternity. Well, that's just demons and Satan. Uh, we're, we're not gonna, we're just gonna cease to exist. Well, that's very hopeful. And by the way, if that were true, I think a lot of us would say, whatever then, I'll go to hell. I'll live for this life you know, crazy and party hard and then they'll throw me in hell and poof, I'll just cease to exist. Ceasing to exist is not a punishment if you ask me. That might be an improvement. Um, but um, you see, there's a problem with that. But the Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches that um, these, according to Matthew 25, Jesus talked about, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Um, number three, God's wrath is consistent. This is important. And the church, a lot of churches don't get this because they're never in the Old Testament. They only pick and choose Old Testament scriptures when it serves them. But God's wrath is consistent in the Old and New Testaments. Um, uh, people sort of act like, well, I like the God of the New Testament. Well, that means you probably haven't read the New Testament because there's plenty of wrath there too. I already read to you a bunch of those wrath scriptures that are in the New Testament. Read Romans 1 and chapter 2. Uh, it's very clear. It's common to think the Old Testament God is mean, harsh, wrath-filled. Um, the God of the New Testament is sort of patient and loving and kind. Um, God is all of those things, but in total righteousness, he's gracious, kind, but righteous, holy, and full of wrath. Um, uh, so, you know, if you try to take one side and paint it with just that, you're not getting the complete picture of who God is. Um, along with other problems, remember, remember, you know, 20 years ago or so, the book The Shack that came out that everybody was all into, and they thought it was so wonderful. The, There's a, there a lot of problems doctrinally with that book, um, but one of the problems is sort of a presenting of who God is, but leaving out massive parts of who God is. And if you don't know that part of God, you don't know God at all. And that was the problem with that. We gotta see the God of the Bible. That's why I think it's so important to, to be a person, if you're not going to a church that's you know, verse by verse through the Bible, you should at the very least be reading your Bible page by page, right through the whole scripture to get the full counsel of God. But we find immensely fearful descriptions of the wrath of God, both in the Old and New Testament. For example, Romans 1.18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Um, the, the word hold means like you're clinging to, um, uh, or, or I should say clinging to, to restrict, sort of to hold back the truth, which is exactly what the world does today, by the way. Um, another New Testament scripture that people forget about is Rome, Revelation uh, 19.15. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. This is Jesus in his second coming, by the way. 
Um, people think, oh, you mean Jesus, the one of those shepherd uh, or the carpenter shepherd kind of imagery of the New Testament? No, this is the, the, the second coming of Christ imagery where he comes with the fierceness. That, that sounds more like Nahum, doesn't it? Um, uh, more of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Um, now, we're gonna start to get to some good stuff here. Number four, God's wrath is his love in action against sin. Now, this seems counterintuitive, but you gotta kind of hear me out here. Um, it's the love of God. We, we, we've established and we know that God is the embodiment of perfect love. First uh, John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for, God is, uh, for love is of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So you say, see, people make the mistake, well, if God is love, then he wouldn't have wrath. Well, that's just some stupid definition that you just made up. But true love actually also includes righteousness. Um, so while God is love, the very embodiment of love, but also in his omniscience, knowing all things, he sees evil for what it is. And so to be loving, he requires justice and judgment because he is love. Um, our culture is confused on this one. Uh, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is execute wrath. And we could give examples of that. You know, um, I think that, um, you know, if you saw an injustice, if a, a bad guy was trying to harm a child on the street and hurting that child, um, the most loving thing you could do would be pound that guy. You take him down, push his, your, your, his head into the asphalt till the police come. And you do it with as much pain as possible. Um, and that's, that's what love is, to, to defend, to protect. Um, that's part of God's nature, by the way. Um, and I'm thankful for that, because if you're on the right side of that, um, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Lord is our protector, and because he's loving, he protects us. So God is love. Our current culture is confused on that somehow, that sometimes, you know, if God is love, then he must not be full of wrath. That's a very huge miscalculation. But, but here's where um, we, you know, so tonight some of you are like feeling the pressure. God's wrath. Prophecy update December. Merry Christmas, Pastor Brett. Um, I know some of you are probably bummed out about that. But, and I, you know, who knows uh, these days, you know, people, uh, you know, what they say about this kind of stuff. But, but um, I'm just speaking the truth about God's wrath. But one of the most important things you need to know and I need to know and should be a message from all of us is number five, point number five, God's wrath is satisfied in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. The wrath of God that is the scariest thing. If you read it in the Bible, it, it, it just it should freak us all out. The only reason it doesn't or, or is two things. Either you just don't believe in the wrath of God or you understand this, that God's wrath is satisfied in Christ. The wrath that I deserve you see, it's not just the, you know, um, the people that are doing evil, ugly wickedness in our culture right now that deserve the wrath of God. We all deserve the wrath of God. Um, I have sinned, you have sinned, we've all sinned. If you're in here and you're saying, Brett, you talked about abortion all the time and I had an abortion. Do you know one in three women have had abortion according to the statistics? So the odds are people watching online here, uh, women here in the church, men who got those girls pregnant, they've all been parts of abortion. And so some people are like, Brett, thanks a lot for hammering all this guilt and wrath of God stuff. Yeah, we feel really great. But see, the good news <clears throat> is this, that, that the Lord is able to forgive us 
and, and take the wrath upon himself. Um, uh, this is the ultimate good news. First Timothy 1.15 is a great passage. This is a faithful saying, Paul said to young Timothy, that um, it's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Um, um, you know, this is, it's because of Jesus Christ. God can rightly identify you and I as sinners, but he can identify us as justified. That's what I love. God is justified in crushing the world. But God also said, but as it turns out, I'm going to justify you if you want it, if you're willing to take it. Romans 3, 26 puts it this way. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, um, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. How is a person justified? The word justification is a doctrine. The doctrine of justification is easiest remembered just as if you'd never sinned. Justification. Just as if you'd never sinned. You're justified. Even though you're a sinner, the Lord says, I'm going to justify you. And he doesn't just wink and nod at your sin and say, yeah, whatever, I'll just kind of dismiss it. No, he bore your sins on the cross and felt the pain, the wrath that was meant for you and me Jesus bore on Calvary, as the old saying goes. God has done what we could not do, and he has done what we don't deserve, the wrath. Uh, um, the, um, now, by the way, the anti-rapture crowd, have you guys bumped into these guys? People that are, oh, rapture's not even in the Bible. Um, I saw another pastor on, on one of the videos recently, uh, you know, very condescendingly, rapture's not even in the Bible. And people that believe in the rapture, well, they're basically, you know, ignoramuses. And like, there's this, there's this big thing, you gotta understand, there's a big thing. And, and you, you know, I've gone over reasons I believe in the rapture of the church and, and a pre-trib rapture at that. And we've talked about the scriptures. But I have to say, one of the things I'm seeing is a huge dishonesty. Um, you know, there used to be a friendly discussion. You know, 23, I've been doing prophecy updates for 27 plus years. And we used to be able to have sort of an in-house discussion about end times eschatology. Those were the good old days. I have friends that are amillennialists and, you know, preterists and mid-trib, pre-wrath, all the different kind of uh, views out there. And it used to be a little more friendly, but one of the things that you need to know is there's a, a ramping up hostility right now uh, toward the pre-trib, particularly the pre-trib rapture view. There's a real hostility that's, that's starting to come out of church leaders and pastors. And, it's, and mark my words, the same thing the world is doing, um, blaming people that have certain convictions about righteousness and saying, well, that's the reason for terrorism and all that stuff. The church is doing that to itself right now. We're watching, you know, this division in the church on, on a, by the way, uh, it's a non-essential issue. There's, there are essential doctrines of the Christian faith and then there are non-essentials. And when something's a non-essential, it doesn't mean that it's not important. Uh, if you know me, you know, I believe that the end times eschatology study of the Bible is very important. But it shouldn't divide us. We shouldn't go around saying just because a person is a post-tribber or uh, even an amillennialist or preterist, we shouldn't go around saying they're unsaved and they're going to hell because that's just not true. Um, the, the doctrines of end time study is not um, something that divides whether a person's saved or not. I just believe there's gonna be a lot of Christians who are gonna get raptured and on their way up, they're gonna have to change their notes uh, as they're flying with us uh, and realize that, oh, we should have believed that. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, John Darby, uh, as they like to say. But one of the, there's so many dishonest things they're saying right now, and it's very hostile. I've, I've noticed the environment has become hostile 
Um, but the anti-rapture crowd deeply is confused by this issue of God's wrath. So, so one of the things you'll hear is um, people who believe in the rapture of the church uh, that are pre-tribbers, they're just trying to get out of feeling the, the tribulation suffering. And, um, and they make this big argument, like they, they, they posture it like we believe somehow we deserve to not go through tribulation. Um, but here's the thing, it's, it's a nuanced thing that they're, they're sort of lying, I think, because if, if they gave it more than 10 seconds thought, I don't believe you and I are gonna be as pre-tribbers. I don't believe we're gonna be insulated from tribulation. We're gonna go through tribulation. Just ask Corey Ten Boom, ask all the Christians that suffered and were killed by, as martyrs. Like suffering and, and uh, pain and tribulation has been all throughout history. And you and I could go through some of the worst suffering. We could go through the worst suffering that's ever happened in the history of the world still. You and I could. Um, so for them to act like we think we're not gonna go through troubles or trials, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we're not gonna go through the wrath of God being poured out upon us. That's what we're saying. The time of the tribulation, let me, let me give you a few um, you know, verses about this because they, they sort of act like you guys think you're special and you're gonna be raptured so you're gonna avoid you know, the tribulation. Um, no, um, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24, 21. And he said, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no, nor ever shall be. Jesus in talk, remember he talked about the abomination of desolation. So we know exactly where Jesus is talking about. If you know your Bible, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And then he says, for then shall be great tribulation. The, the great tribulation is the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Um, and it's not gonna be like any other time in the history of the world. And guess what? You and I are not gonna be a part of that if we're part of the church. Why? Well, it's because that time is where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Um, let's not forget one of the descriptions of the tribulation period uh, is in the Re Revelation 6 through 19. But chapter six says this, and the kings of the earth and the uh, great men and the rich men and the chief captains, the mighty men and every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said into the mountains and rocks, fall on us. They're not saying, forgive us or we repent or help us. Nope, they're crying out to the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Is that who, who shall be able to stand? Does that ring a bell? Where did we read that? Nahum, uh, remember back in our, our little Nahum passage, who is able to stand? Well, they're gonna be asking that. The same language of the book of Nahum's description of God's wrath but we actually have an answer for that. Who is gonna be able to withstand that wrath? Us, because we're not gonna be there. See, we don't believe that we're gonna be somehow isolated from trouble or trials or tribulation. You know, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're gonna suffer tribulation and persecution and all kinds of trouble. We don't really believe that we're escaping in that way. But the one thing, we're not escaping tribulation as much as we're, we're escaping the wrath of, of, of God. Well, Brett, where do you find that? Well, that's easy. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four and five talks about the rapture of the church. And in that it says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key thing. God has not appointed you and I to wrath. Why? Any number of reasons we can talk about it. The wrath was already poured out on Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. For a person to think that you have to go and have the wrath of God poured out on you, 
that undoes really the work of the cross. Suddenly the cross was of no help, uh, really, if, if you have to go through the wrath of God being poured out. That's what's gonna happen in the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble, the wrath of the lamb. God is not appointed to us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And a couple of verses later it says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. You and I can be comforted knowing that we're not gonna go through the wrath of God. Um, I think Jesus, this is what he was talking about when he said this in Luke 21, 36. Watch ye therefore. This is one of the things we're supposed to do, watch. That's why we do prophecy updates, by the way. Watch, be sober, be vigilant. You know, look and see the world events. This is what Jesus talked about. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Um, who shall be able to stand? Those that are counted worthy. How are you counted worthy? Now, this is another false argument some of those people make that don't believe in the rapture. And they say, there's only an elite bunch who get to be raptured. And I guess there are some people that believe in a selective rapture. Um, but I believe anyone who's a true Christ-believing, repentant Christian who believes in Jesus Christ is gonna be raptured. That's the, the way you're counted worthy, not because your worthiness, but because he was worthy. Um, you're saved because Jesus's work was good. And if you believe that and accept that, you're saved. So when it comes to this idea of the wrath of God being poured on a cross, Christ rejecting sinful world, that's coming. And the world should be totally freaked out. It is something you should be freaked out about. Unless you understand this truth that man, you're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we can comfort one another with these words. You and I, um, we can see the wickedness in the world and not be freaked out and not say, oh man, I'm so bummed and troubled and everything's gonna you know, go bad. And um, we might go through hard times, but we don't worry about that even, even because the Lord is with us through hard times. The same arguments that the, the people that don't believe in the rapture or don't believe in pre-trib rapture say, you better get supplies and bunkers and guns and get ready for the, the tribulation period. Um, my problem with that is if that were true, um, things are gonna be so bad. What are you gonna do? Your neighbor comes uh, in your bunker and everybody's starving outside, coo, 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 and they knock on your door. What are you gonna do? Boom, shoot them dead uh, and say, yeah, not, no Cheerios for you. I, I've got my Cheerios. And like, like I, I just see if, if things get that bad, if we're gonna go through all that, um, things are gonna be really bad. And, and we'll try to help each other and love one another. But this whole thing of doing that to be ready for the tribulation period, I think that's misguided. And see, they, they would argue that some people are gonna be left behind that were Christians. There's some people that make the Laodicea argument, you know, that um, if you're lukewarm, you're gonna be not raptured. Um, and um, I believe that that's a very different thing. When you're talking about the seven churches, the Asia Minor, we're not talking about the rapture of the church there in that context. I believe um, there's people that are saved and there's people that are not. You're either a saint or you're an ain't. Um, and that's the thing. You have to understand, am I a Christian who believes in Jesus Christ? And you don't mess around with that question um, because uh, you wanna be saved. You wanna be raptured, taken up to be with the Lord. Now, if the rapture doesn't happen in our lifetime, which it may not, I believe it could, but if it doesn't, we still are called to live with that expectation and to know that even if things get really bad in our lifetime, if things get really troublesome, we just put our trust in the Lord and we know that we can put our faith in him. And even if we perish, even if we suffer, even if we're tortured or hurt or you know, persecuted, 
Um, heaven's coming. We, we have the glory of heaven to look forward to. So we put our trust in the Lord. I have to say, this is something that the church probably needs to get their mental uh, readiness for persecution. I see persecution coming. Uh, it's already here to some degree, but it's, I think it's gonna come exponentially in these next few years. We're gonna see it more and more. We're already starting to see the beginnings of that. Um, and I think some of these little terms I went over tonight, uh, they're gonna start calling people that are believers in the Bible terrorists, and who knows what they're gonna do. Uh, they're already doing stuff in Canada to pastors and putting them in jail and stuff like that. That's all coming down here. It's, it's only a matter of time. Um, but what we do is just keep putting our eyes on the Lord, preaching the good news of the gospel. All the wickedness that we see around us, that the wrath of God is coming down upon them, we shouldn't be going, well, they're gonna get theirs. No, we should be saying, oh Lord, may our hearts be broken for them and share the gospel with them. We need to keep sharing the gospel that people might be forgiven and saved. There's a lot of people lost in their wickedness. A lot of people just embracing wickedness, wickedness just without any restraint at all. Even within the church so-called today, we should be about the gospel, preaching the good news. And without the wrath part, you can't really get the full picture of the gospel. So we need to preach all of it, the wrath, but also the salvation, the gospel. So there it is, uh, some things to think about. Um, I think that the wrath is something that people should probably talk more about because it's very real and it's gonna happen. Um, are you ready for it? That's the question. Lord, we pray tonight as we close up this particular prophecy update, we see the world just unchecked wickedness right now. And it's heartbreaking, Lord, to know how many people are truly lost but I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to have compassion, even as when you looked over Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem, Lord, I pray that we would have that heart for the lost people of this world. Lord, that we would see people saved, more and more people here at Athey Creek or in our own lives personally in this group or people online, that Lord, we'd be bold to, to speak the truth, to speak it in love, but also with power and with authority. Um, forgive your church, Lord, where we've sort of given only partial messages um, only the fun things and the fuzzy stuff and leave out the other things that are just as important in your, in your word, Lord. I pray that like Paul, we could say, like he said to the elders of the church at Ephesus, that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Lord, may that be true of us. So we, we do uh, thank you for saving us, that we have the hope of heaven and eternal life because of you. We thank you for that, Lord. Comfort those that are troubled, um, Lord, for those who feel guilty because of their sin, Lord, we pray that they'd know your love and your forgiveness, your mercy. But may we have compassion on the world, Lord, that, that we might share the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.